Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And we're thankful, Lord, that uh, as we worship you, you see fit to visit us where we are. You, you visit our, our hearts, Lord, you visit our minds. You fill us with you. Um, that's one of the greatest things that we could ever experience um, here on this earth. And I just pray, Lord, as we study your word this morning, that it would be something that further teaches, instructs us, and helps us, Lord, as we follow after you. Just as you spoke to the disciples, Lord, when you were on the earth, you said, and you spoke to them, and you said, come, follow me. Lord, would you this morning, by your word, give us better direction and assurance and peace as we come after you, as we follow you, as we are a church who, who seeks to follow the Lord Jesus. And in his precious name we pray, amen. Um, the mic seems a little bit hot. Is it, is it a little bit hot in the room? Does it seem that way to you guys? Are you fine? So it's just me. Oh, great. Okay, great. Um, like a lot of things in life, that's just me. So <laughs> not too surprised. Okay, so let's jump right in. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Um, Can we show that next slide on here? So Jonah, if you've ever studied Jonah, and, and, and Jonah has an interesting kind of history as far as how people think of it. We'll be getting to the fish stuff, of course. Um, but I wanted to give you a little bit more insight as to who Jonah was, as well as the geography of Jonah. So Jonah is down here on the bottom left portion of the map. Jerusalem, he goes to Joppa, and then, which is on the, on the, on the port. And he's being directed by God to go to Nineveh, which is on the upper right-hand portion. That's in an area of the, of the world also known as Mesopotamia, which means the land between two rivers, Assyria, I'm sorry, the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. And Assyria is the nation that was there at that time. And they controlled a lot of the area between Nineveh and even on down to, to Israel. The Lord is telling Jonah to get up from his land and go all the way over there to preach to those people. And what does he do? He runs away the opposite direction on a ship that he had to pay um, voyage for. So he goes to Tarshish, which is most likely in southern Spain. So Jonah is at the very get-go of the book. He's just like, no, basically. Lord has told him to go do something, and he says, no. And I'm sure none of you in this room have ever said that to the Lord, right? You've always like just done exactly what he said the first time he said it, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Let's continue reading. So verse four, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God. So there was a multiplicity of gods worshiped on this vessel. 
They all have different religions, different backgrounds, different people. We're not told all of them, all of what they were, but they were crying out to their own gods. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship. He's running, now he's hiding, and had lain down and was fast asleep, and now he's sleeping. So it's, a, it's about as far away from reality as you can get. You ever, you ever get to that situation where you're like, I need a nap to get away from whatever's going on? Well, that's exactly what Jonah's doing times a thousand or fifteen hundred. So the captain came to him and said to him, verse 6, what do you mean, sleeper? He was, he was surprised that he could even sleep during this, this storm. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. So they just want everybody to try to do whatever their religious thing is. That's what's going on here on the ship. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. It's just like kind of like drawing straws today, right? When's the last time you guys drew straws in order to figure out how to, who had to take out the trash at your house or something like that? Anybody? When's the last time? Draw, any, any draw straws here? Ah, <laughs> oh, we have a, a wise man in the audience. That's fantastic. Good. Okay, so they, they cast lots, and the lot fell to, guess what, Jonah. So Jonah gets the short straw. He has, he's, he's, the, he's being pointed out. And they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So like, they want to find out everything they can know about this guy because the, the lot has pointed to them, basically. Or pointed to him, excuse me. So he said to them in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So he tells them who he is. He tells them what country he's from and his people. So they know he is a follower of the Lord or a follower of Yahweh. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? It's so surprising to me that they are the ones who are calling to him and saying, why have you gone against the Lord that you say you're a follower of. I mean, for them, it's illogical. And honestly, as you read through the book, you're just going to shake your head over and over again at this prophet Jonah because he is a strange figure. But you know what? I know other strange figures. In fact, this is a room full of them. Do you guys know that you're all unique? That you're all special? That you have your own whims and fancies and stuff? You do, right? We are a strange, peculiar people. And Jonah is no exception. So they asked him, why have you done this? Why have you walked this way? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, and he literally confessed to them, I'm fleeing away from the presence of the Lord. They're like, well, of course you are. Thanks so much for telling us, right? Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up, and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. So he realizes that because of his disobedience, this is what the Lord is doing to the ship. Now, he tells them to do this, but at first they don't do it. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land. They don't want to do this. They don't want to follow the instruction that he just gave them. And, but they could not actually row to land for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, what do they do? Verse 14, they cried out to the Lord. They don't cry out at this point to their gods. They had done that before. Did that work? It did not work. Have you guys tried crying out to other gods along, along, along the way in your life? It does not work. 
But these guys now, even though they're, they're listening to a guy who is in disobedience to the Lord, they're now praying to his God. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So here these guys are on this ship. They're worshiping the Lord. They're taking vows. They're doing sacrifices. Everything that would have been happening like in the temple is what they're doing on a ship. Foreigners. But the one guy who knows him is running the opposite way. And that's only the beginning of the craziness of this story. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I've shown you the geography of Jonah, how he went the opposite way, how he should have gone up to Nineveh and now he's in the middle of the ocean and he's being thrown overboard, this giant storm and now a fish comes and swallows him to rescue him. Now a lot of people have struggled with this. They're like, is this a real story? Is this a real tale? Is this, is this scripture? Is this something we're supposed to learn from? And I would tell you, yes. It's absolutely a historical account of this crazy adventure that this one prophet of God had. But let me tell you a little bit more about Jonah that most people don't know. If we can go ahead to the next slide. Jonah shows up in the Bible not only here in this book, this is just an account of an incredible story. He shows up before in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25, in which he is serving under the king known as Jeroboam II, who is serving as king of Israel. At this point, uh, the nation has been divided into two after the reign of Solomon. There is Israel, the nation to the north, Judah, the nation to the south. Jeroboam is ruling over the north. And Jonah is a prophet. And what Jonah has been used by the Lord to do is that Jonah has actually prophesied through the Lord or received a word from the Lord to tell them to go take the land back that was north of Israel. Now, this land had been first conquered by Solomon and by David in their conquests, but recently had been taken back by the Assyrians and other foreign powers. The Assyrians, of course, were the nation where the Ninevites were. And so now... Having gone through all that, having recovered the land, having been used by the Lord to do that work, he's now being asked to go to those same enemies and preach the word to them. Now, this doesn't excuse Jonah's disobedience, just like it wouldn't excuse any of our disobedience, but it does at least give some explanation or a plausible explanation as to why he reacted as strongly as he did. And you could imagine, right, Lord, I've, I've, been in, I've been in the ministry. I was used by you. you. You told me to go do this. I was part of what you did before. And now you're telling me to go do something completely different. And you're telling me to go to the people that have been our enemies. How would you respond? And how do you respond when the Lord changes the path of your life? Are you like, let's do it. Third gear. I'm ready to go. Or does it cause you also to have pause? I think for a lot of people, it would be something that they really struggle with. Now, the Assyrians later did end up conquering the nation of Israel about 50 years after this story here. So that's the context of Jonah. That's a possible explanation as to why Jonah was the way he was. But there are amazing things that we learn about the Lord 
in this entire book. And let me point out a couple of things from chapter one, if we can go ahead here. What do we learn about God in chapter one? First of all, God is a sending God. He doesn't just pick you and then just leave you where you are. He sends you to places where he wants you to go. Be that a mission, be that a family, be that a job, an occupation, a friendship. He is a sending God. Second thing, God is a speaking God. He's not just silent. He actually is invested and interested in you and your life and what you are all about. You were made with a reason. You were made with a purpose. And he wants to speak to you as to what that is. And the last thing is that he is an others-oriented God. Now, this is one of the things that a lot of people really struggle with. How could the Lord send him to his enemies? How could the Lord send him to people that he flat out disagrees with? Well, God is interested in all people all the time. I know you think about yourself a lot because, well, we live in our own bodies and it's really easy for us to be self-interested. But the Lord cares about all people at all times. Let's continue now into chapter two. So we finished chapter one and we, we read that the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. When's the last time you prayed in a situation like that? From the belly of a fish. Any, any fish belly prayers? Anything, anything like that? There are times where you feel that way though, right? <laughs> You're like, I'm in the, the, the depths of whatever. What, what is your prayer like when you're in the depths of your life? It tends to be really personal, right? Really honest, heartfelt. Yeah, that's exactly what we see from Jonah. So he prays from the belly of the fish and he says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Now we gotta, we gotta point this out. Did he cry out when the Lord first spoke to him? No. In fact, he hasn't spoken to the Lord. He's fleed from the presence and from the word, but he hasn't actually spoken to him. He didn't cry out when he got on the fish. I mean, sorry, when he got into the boat. He didn't cry out when the storm came. He only cries out now that he's in the belly of a fish. And I think this is important as you grow in knowing Christ. If you know Christ today, if you are a Christian or a follower of Jesus, You need to take kind of a mental assessment. When do I cry out to the Lord? Is it only when I'm in the very depths of my life? Or if I learn to cry out to him, even when he just brings a word that I'm maybe not happy with? I would encourage all of us to be those who would listen at the get-go so that you can avoid the belly of the fish, basically. So he cries out to the Lord because of his affliction. And he says, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet, this is one of my favorite verses in this prayer, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. 
those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So the fish is listening to the Lord. (laughs) But Jonah hasn't been listening to the Lord. It's an interesting comparison, isn't it? You know, this this prayer has has so much in it, and I'm not going to be able to touch every single aspect, but um, I think one thing that I, I really love about this prayer is that it's full of just, it's full of honesty. It's full of, of, of turning around. It's full of, of truth. Remembering the Lord. Saying things like, those who regard worthless idols will forsake their own mercy. The Lord has a mercy for you, but if you go after idols, if you go after other things that are replacing the Lord, then you're actually like washing away the mercy that the Lord has for you. Now, to deal with the whale in the room, or the elephant of the room, as it was usually said, the issue of, okay, how did this happen? How is it possible that Jonah was in the belly of the whale? Well, here's some possible options. First of all, there are two, or probably even more, but two basic fish types that would be big enough to swallow a human being. The first one is the blue whale. These are enormous uh, enormous creatures. Um, you're probably more familiar with the Latin term Balanoptera musculus. Let's all say that together. One, two, three. Balanera musculus. I knew you guys knew that. Now, these, these amazing creatures have mouths that are between 10 and 12 feet wide. They, their stomach, they have four to six different compartments. And within their head, they actually have an air compartment because they're mammals. They have to breathe. They come up, they take huge amounts of oxygen and, and air in. And the air compartment within the head of a blue whale is seven feet by seven feet by 14 feet. That's a New York apartment. In fact, in the, in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, there was a tale where this dog got swallowed by a blue whale. There was a whaling ship and a dog went overboard landed in the blue whale, and they found it when they finally tracked down the whale. They found the dog inside that air capsule of the whale's head alive. Isn't that astounding? Now, it's also interesting that when these whales are dying, they eject the contents of their stomachs. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly what was happening towards the end of chapter two, but it's a possibility. Now, that's one fish type that it could have been. And, and of course, I must put this out there too. We don't know exactly what fish type it was. It could have been a one-off that Lord made specifically for this. Dare I say, maybe it was a Jewfish. Ah, yes. You have no idea how long I've been waiting to tell that one. Just a, a long time, right? The next option is this one called a whale shark, also known as a rhinodon typicus. They have one of these, or at least the skeleton of one of these, in a museum in Beirut, Lebanon. And in that museum, the head of the shark is actually bigger than an entire human being. There are stories of these sharks that have swallowed an entire horse 
And there's another story where they have swallowed an entire reindeer. Now, don't ask me why was there a reindeer on a boat and what was it doing out there in the ocean and how did it get into, I have no idea. You've got me. Um, but that would make your Christmas, I think, probably more interesting. So maybe you sew that in there, you know. Put, maybe put a whale this, this year in the nativity. Um, so these are possible things. And somehow Jonah ends up in this creature. The Lord has prepared it. And now he's in the belly of the whale. And what do we learn about the Lord in this chapter? Well, we learn a couple of really important things. We learn, first of all, that he is a God who, let's go to the next slide, please. We learn, first of all, that he is a God who saves. Now, if you've been around church <laughs> at any point in your life, you've heard probably, I hope, you've heard the gospel. You've heard that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins. And that when you believe in Jesus' name, that your sins are forgiven because the price was paid for them. And what Jesus says of his own ministry is that when you believe in his name and believing in his name and what he has done, this is what saves you, right? We preach this, we talk about this, it's really important. And God is a saving God. This is his nature. He wants to save people. Now, how he saves people can be pretty unique. I mean, who of you would put together in your minds to have a Messiah crucified, and that would be the way that humanity was saved. Who would have thought that he would use a whale? The Lord uses the instruments that he uses. Our job is not to judge the instruments. Our job is to learn about the love and the saving of the Lord. He is is a Lord who wants to save you. And if you have never received Jesus, if you never actually bowed the knee and said, you know what, I, I need to be forgiven of my sins, then I please I would implore you before you leave today, whether it's with a prayer team member or, or a pastor or somebody else in this church, make sure that you seek that out so that you can know that you are saved. So that's the first thing we learned that the Lord is a saving God. We also learned that the Lord is an object lesson God. Now, turn with me please to the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Aaron has, has touched on this a few times in, in previous chapters. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 39. Because Jonah, Jonah's life is used by Jesus in his ministry as an example. And I've got to point this out. Sometimes the things that you go through in your lives are not to be object lessons for you. Sometimes they're supposed to be object lessons for somebody else. You may not even know the person who's seeing you walk through a particular trial or circumstance, but the Lord has you going through it so somebody else can see it. Such is the case also with Jonah in the case of Jesus. Read with me please in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 12. But he answered and said to them, he's speaking with the scribes and the Pharisees uh, who have wanted to see a sign. They wanted to see something that would show them, like prove to us that you're the Messiah. So he speaks and answers them and says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except what? The sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Speaking, of course, of Jesus' 
burial after he was crucified before he was then resurrected three days later. Another miraculous example of coming back from the dead. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So what Jonah went through in chapter 2 and in his prayer and all this stuff was all to be a foreshadowing and what Jesus would use as an object lesson to teach them, look, this is going to happen to me. Do you remember when it happened back in the Old Testament? Do you remember what happened to Jonah? And using that as something to teach them. Now, it is very possible that what happens to Jonah actually in this situation is that he's actually killed in the belly of the whale and resurrected. Know with me some very important things that he prays within this scripture that would, that would lead to this reasoning. Verse two, he says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. That's the place of the dead. And he talks there about not only the waves and the waters surrounding him, but he says that I went down to the moorings of the earth, the moorings of the mountains, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Now this is speaking not just of, of drowning, this is talking about actual death. So there's two possibilities. One is that Jonah is an example from the Old Testament of resurrection, or that his prayer is prophetic in speaking of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Either way, it's something that we really need to chew on in understanding the reason why Jesus points to Jonah as a sign, as a sign for them to believe upon. And the last thing I want to point out that we see about the Lord is that the Lord is a waiting God. Now, it is incredible to me that the Lord is as patient with Jonah as he is. Have you, have, have you seen the Lord be patient with you? Is the Lord not an incredibly patient God, right? If you or I were God, we would have slapped ourselves in the face a thousand times before, before we bowed the knee, right? I mean, they're just endless examples of like, what, what, are you, what are you doing in your life? You know, have you had that moment where the Lord is speaking to you and he says, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? How's Tarshish? How's the ship? Joppa, nice place to go. What are you doing? What are you doing? Sleeping in the ship. Hey, how's it going? What are you, what are you doing? You're in, you're in a whale's belly. Whoa, whoa, how's that working out? How's, the Lord will wait and wait and wait for you to come to him. And this is part of the mercy of the Lord. He, he's never going to force himself. He, he's never going to going to go, be, go beyond the, the, the free will that you have. He will never violate the ability for you to make the decision yourself to come to him. He will never will. He will always wait. He will come right up to the line, knocking, seeking, rescuing, saving, and waiting for you to then bow the knee and pray this kind of prayer until you recognize him as the Lord of your life. Because this is the thing that Jonah just didn't get at all at this point. Even though he'd been used by the Lord before, the Lord speaking to him of something new, something different, wanted to do nothing with it. 
It was just a word. It wasn't something that was part of his relationship. And the Lord just waited for him to get to the end of his rope and then just received his prayer. And there's, there's nothing that the Lord says. He just says, as soon as that prayer is uttered, what happens? The Lord speaks to the fish, the fish, and vomits him onto dry land. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced where the Lord has just, he's saved you from any number of things and you finally just said, you know, okay, I get it. You love me, you want me. You you need me to, to confess. You need me to come to you. And the Lord will just receive you with open arms and he waits for those moments in all of our lives to turn to repent and to come to him. And he's just waiting, waiting, and waiting. Let's, res- let's resume now in chapter three. So he's now been vomited back onto dry land. And if you could pull up the next map, please. And he's probably vomited onto that land near Israel. He's probably come back through the, 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 the sea there. And, and the distance though between Jerusalem, the distance between Israel and Assyria, which again, I showed you on that first map, is almost 400 miles. So either he was vomited out 400 miles, which would be more like a circus sideshow, I think, you know, like the cannons, boom, Assyria. Hey, uh, I think he probably had to, had to walk and he had to get there or maybe on with uh, some kind of uh, animal. Anyhow, he has to make his way all the way over to Assyria. And it's a long way. So, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Does that ring a bell to anybody? (laughs) It's the same directions. Now, if the Lord is telling you to do the same thing that he told you before and you've rejected it, please don't think that the Lord somehow is just going to change his mind magically because you don't like it. If the Lord has a plan for your life, there's two things you can do. The one thing is you can, you can either accept that plan and walk that out and walk by faith and not by sight, or you can reject it and run from it. There's only two options you really have. But let me just tell you this. When the Lord has a plan for an individual person, He has a plan for every single one in this room or whoever's listening to this message later. He has a plan for your life that's only for you. It's not somebody else's plan. That plan doesn't change. God knows why he made you the way you are. Unique, different, different spiritual gifts, different temperaments, all kinds of things. He makes us for a reason and a purpose. Our job is to kind of glom onto that, to really hold onto that and trust that and if you've been running away from an instruction that the Lord has given you, I would, just, I would just plead with you, listen to his plan. I did this in the first service, and I think, I think we need to do it again here, which is I, I just want us to, to take 30 seconds of silence. Maybe you've been having a plan about what your life is supposed to be about. Maybe you've had an idea about what it is, and you're holding that up, but the Lord has another word that he's given you, and you need to Simply lay your plan down. And so would we all just for 30 seconds, just silently in the the privacy of your own heart, close your eyes. Let's lay down 
our plans and listen for what his are. Shall we? You know, as we, as we lay our, our plans down and we accept the plans that the Lord has for us, he will attend to that plan with incredible power and peace and strength. And maybe there's some things in your life where you wish we're going a certain direction that probably won't change until you accept the thing that he has for you to do. Very often the things that we desire to change our life, maybe they're relationships, maybe they're personality problems, maybe they're just things about how you think or why, why you are the way you are. Accept the plan that the Lord has for you and let him do his work. He's a much better surgeon than we are, guys. <laughs> when we try to fix ourselves, and it just doesn't work very well. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. Notice he doesn't say, hey, why'd you blow it? He just, he just comes back with the word, hey, here's the plan for you. And that's the way the Lord is. He just says, hey, here's the plan. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, God loves you so much that, no. No, that's not what he said at all. Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. This picture here on the right is, are the gates of Nineveh. They're still in existence today in that area of the world. In fact, these gates may have been the gates that Jonah walked through. Now, they were harmed about 10 years ago when ISIS went through this area because they began to blow up a lot of the ancient ruins that were in this area, specifically in Kala, which is just south. Kala, Nineveh, and Korsabad, the three cities that were there, were all considered to be one giant city, about 27 miles in circumference. So this idea of three days in journey had to do with the fact that that was a big thing, kind of like metropolitan uh, Los Angeles or something like that. So he goes into these gates and he has to speak the word that the Lord gives him. Do you know what that probably felt like? Having to walk into enemy, enemy territory. Remember, he's been part of the kind of the battle plans for years of defeating them. He knew of their savagery. Incredibly, incredibly cruel. And he has to go into this city and not with a message of, you know, joy and peace and the message of judgment. Be quaking in my boots, wouldn't you? Man, how do you do when the Lord tells you to tell somebody his word and you don't want to do it? Let's all do it together. Ready? And knees shaking. Ready? Come on. One, two, three. Uh, it's not easy to do. I remember about, maybe about 10 years ago, I was at a gas station, and I do a fair amount of gas station evangelism, so this is one of my areas, so, and uh, <laughs> pumping gas, and the Lord speaks to me, and he says, tell that guy over there that I love him, and I'm like, 
Really? <laughs> like, I don't want to do that, you know? I'll put diesel in my car right now. I'll, I'll ruin this whole thing, you know? I'll burn it down to the ground. I'll, I'll do my Jonah thing, right? And I don't want to do it. And my, my, my knees are shaking, and I don't want to say it. And I didn't even have to say the message of, uh, of judgment, you know? I didn't tell the guy, yet two more pumps in your Subaru Forester will be overthrown, you know? Although that might have been kind of cool to say. I'm not sure why I mentioned the Subaru Forester, but anyhow. Um, <clears throat> And I, so I just say, hey, buddy. And he looks up. And I say, God loves you. And he's, he walks over towards me. I thought he's going to punch me. I thought like, he's going to be like, oh, here we go. I'd be like, you religious whatever, you know, nut job. He starts crying. He starts crying. He gives me a hug. He tells me about all this going on in his life, that he really needed to hear that, the stuff going on in his work. And it's just like, what do you say? The Lord knows who needs to hear what is, needs to be heard at the right time. And he wants to use us as voices to tell them. Now, in this situation, what he had to tell them was judgment. And we need to wrestle with that for a minute. Some people think that judgment is like a mean way of communicating. It's, it's really not. In fact, it's one of the most merciful things, God's judgment and his love are connected together. If you could forehead to the next slide. The judgment and love of God are connected together. Because think of it, if, what person, if you, had, if you had a child and they were running towards the edge of a cliff, right, and they're about to jump off, what, who of you wouldn't yell with warning to that, try to save and rescue that person? You would warn them, hey, something's going to happen if you don't get away from that cliff. That's exactly what God's judgment warnings are to us. This is why Jesus spoke about hell and gnashing of teeth and all these things. It wasn't to cause you to fear. It was to warn you. Why? To save you. To save you. And this is exactly the message that Jonah had. Now, the 40 days thing is pretty interesting because think, this is, the, this is the Near East. A lot of stuff has happened in the Near East that had to do with 40 days in the centuries before this. When Moses went up to receive the law, he was up there with tremendous uh, lightnings and tremblings, 40 days. The surrounding areas knew about that. When the floods came, the rains happened for how long? 40 days. Interestingly enough, the last thing we read about within the Bible about 40 days was Jesus being back on the earth after the resurrection before his ascension. And no more judgment until the end. Just a note to think about. Judgment is God's way of warning people unto salvation, not to cause them to fear. And the next thing we learn about the Lord in this, in this chapter is that this marvelous truth that God relents when man repents. Let's read here in verse five. So the people of Nineveh believed God. So he gave them this, this judgment. And what happened? They completely received it. Just as was told us in Jesus's words, because the, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and condemn them because they believed they believed God, they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. This clothes of mourning. 
Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. This is an amazing fast. They are really serious about their repentance. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This helps to give us a proof text for knowing that about the Assyrians. And they end their, their statement by saying this, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? This is their response, and it is an amazing response. We're talking about like revival response of a foreign nation in a single day because of one sentence of one person at a particular moment in time. You think the God of the Bible is not powerful? He is a powerful God, but he will use sometimes the most unlikely of people in situations. And this is what we have to be worried about. You don't, you're not waiting for the stars to align. You're waiting to hear the, the word and speak it. Trust him. Not your inclinations, not your feelings. Trust him. And then one of the most amazing verses in this entire book, verse 10. Then God saw their works. And what were those works? That they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. God relents when man repents. When man repents, God relents. Works by the way. I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly thankful that the God of the Bible, the God of this universe has chosen that when, when I do the simplest thing of just, just doing this, I'm sorry that his judgment becomes wiped away from my account. How amazing is that? Do you realize the God that we serve could have asked for any number of giant hoops for you to, to jump through? He could have said, well, okay, then the requirements are to do this and this and this and this. And he doesn't do that at all. He's, he, he asks of us the most simple things. Just repent. Turn away from the sin in your life. Turn away from the ways that you call just your ways. And he will see and come from heaven and relent and take away the harm that would have been caused by the sin. The wages of sin is what in the Bible? The wages of sin is death. That's what you earn. You're literally earning death through sin. But God, by his mercy, by his amazing mercy, sees fit to forgive and to release how much, how much debt has been forgiven in this room? Just think of it for a second. Think about how many things God has forgiven you of personally. 
25 things, 3,000 things, 9,486,366,492 things. That's me. He's forgiven a lot because of the death of his son. This is who our God is. He's a forgiving and merciful God. And now we'll see, chapter 4, how Jonah responds to this. Think about how you respond to it, and now let's look and see what Jonah does. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Who, who is this guy? I hope I get to meet Jonah in heaven. Like, I, 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 I just want to like dig at his mind and his heart and be like, what were you going about? He'll just be like, I know, I know, I know, but Tarshish was so nice in the spring, and I really wanted a boat trip, and I was hoping God wouldn't tell me that, and I really didn't like the Ninevites, and da 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 It displeased him. Why? He hadn't yet learned to really see the way God sees, and he hadn't learned yet the heart of God. He still just had a heart of flesh, the heart of man. Most of us are in that place too. You may not think, you may think, oh, come on, Jonah. At At least I have a little compassion on people. How much compassion do you have? You have a lot of compassion in traffic? Oh, the preacher always pulling out the traffic button, right? (laughs) So he became angry and he prayed to the Lord, verse 2, and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know, what did he know? That you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now this is an amazing passage, right? He's confessing that he actually does know the character of the Lord and yet he doesn't want to experience the character of the Lord or have anybody else experience it either. This is actually a quotation from Exodus chapter 34 in which Moses is getting the tablets the second time and the Lord is actually speaking of his own character to Moses. Moses messed up, right? He broke the first tablets. He has to get the second ones. So even, even, even Jonah quoting from somebody who's experienced God's mercy and speaking of God's mercy still doesn't understand God's mercy. You see, mercy is not something that is just intellectual, It has to become something that you really understand in here. That he has been merciful to you. That he is merciful to you. And that he desires to be merciful to you. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh man, this guy's guy's nuts. (laughs) It's just nutso just like a lot of the people I know. Then the Lord said to him, verse four, is it right for you to be angry? Now, the word here for is it right is not a moral rightness. It's not talking about uh, should, should, should you ask that question. It's saying, is it making you happy to be this angry? He's trying to show Jonah, Jonah. He's pulling up the mirror and saying, hey, hey, Jonah, you acting this way, you behaving that way, is that what you want? Is this the kind of person that you want to be, Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry in this situation? Think about all that's happened, right? Delivered by a fish, spit onto land, walked over, 120,000 or more people repented. I mean, that's a pretty good day if you're a prophet, right? 
but not for Jonah because Jonah is still consumed in himself. This is the same thing that the Lord does to me. He just shows me the mirror of myself and he says, really, Jeff? Like, is that the kind of man you want to be? Is that the kind of thought you want to think? Those are the kind of words you want to use? And he just wears on me by helping me to see who I really am. The depravity of me. And he's trying to show Jonah the same thing. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side. He's actually sitting even further away from his homeland. He's, he's waiting for the, the brimstone and the, and the fireworks, I think, of the judgment to come. And he made himself a shelter. That's also in the Hebrew, a sukkah. And he sat under it in the shade until he might see what would become of the city. He's, he's just waiting for judgment. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So the Lord is yet further kind to him, provides a little house plant for his sukkah. He still cares for him. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, that's an interesting sentence. This is the first time that we read of Jonah being grateful. Now, that's incredible. He's thankful for a house plant, but he's not thankful that the Ninevites were saved. He's, he's thankful for this very temporary thing, but he's not thankful for being rescued miraculously. We need to be careful about the things that we are thankful for because they, they show us a lot about who we are. But as morning dawned, verse seven, the next day God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. Now think about that. There's a wind from the east moving west. He was sitting on the east side of the city. Where is the wind blowing him towards? Right back to Nineveh. It's almost as though God was saying like, hey, hey, go, go back. Look at what I did. He's giving him yet another opportunity. Maybe the Lord would blow you in a certain direction. He's saying, go back to that place. Go back to that thing. Go back to that person. See what I'm doing. So he prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Once again, with the doom and the gloom. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he's giving him another chance to relent, to repent, to turn around. And Jonah completely messes it up again and says, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. What a character. And then verse 10 and 11, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? What is God trying to teach Jonah? What is God trying to teach us in this story? There's a way that man sees things and then there is a way that the Lord sees things. 
Jonah is so wrapped up in himself that he cannot see even the salvation of his enemies as a good thing. The only thing he has found any joy in is a simple plant that came up and provided him shade for a matter of hours. And guys, as much as I would say, man, Jonah, what a crazy figure. Guys, we can be the same way. We're thankful for these little things that happen in our lives, but the Lord is doing all this amazing work around us in other people, and we're just blind to it. We're just blind to it because all we can really see is this. If you're a human being, and if you're listening, you are one, (laughs) this is the scope of your vision. On your best day, this is the scope of your vision. This is how well you see. And this is what and how the Lord sees the full picture. Even how we see ourselves is wrong so often compared to how he sees us and how he sees others. And all he wants to do is say, hey, open your eyes, Jonah. Look at how you're acting and look at what I'm doing all around you. But you're missing it because you're focused on you. It's been said, the greatest enemy you probably will ever have, aside from Satan, is yourself. You you will convince yourself not to do things the Lord tells you to do. You will convince yourself that you are happier when you're doing this as opposed to doing that. You will convince yourself that when the Lord of the Lord comes to you and tells you to do something, that you're really better off not doing it. And you'll fight against yourself. And I don't want you to end up like, like Jonah here, unable to see because he was so wrapped up in me. So wrapped up in that. And so this morning as we close, if, if there's something where you need to take that to prayer, if there's something that the Lord is touching your heart, we've got prayer members on either side after the service. Or if you have a prayer request, please put it in the offering box in the back. But as we, as we, as we close today, as, as we, we think about the lessons of Jonah, let's take with us the things that the Lord has. Let's make sure that when the Lord send us and tells us to say something, we say it. And let's ask the Lord to change our hearts so that we can see others the way he sees them. A transformed heart, a transformed mind, a transformed life is what Jesus wants for you. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the prophet Jonah. We're thankful for the prophecy and how it helps us to know more about Jesus and the death and the resurrection that he experienced. We're thankful, Lord, for all the ways in which you showed yourself to be so gracious and kind and helpful and saving to him. And for these gathered here and these listening to my voice, would you, Lord, speak to them of your graciousness and of your power and of your direction also in their life? If you have a word for somebody here this morning to, to give them a direction, maybe they're, they're wrestling with it. Would you, Lord, help to win them over by the power of the Spirit, by the witness of your peace? And would you help us all, Lord, as we seek to follow after you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.